I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. Welcome to the Ag Knowledge Podcast. This week, we are talking with Griffin Presnell and Dr. Sean Ahern for our special City Slickers edition of Ag Knowledge. You can go ahead and introduce yourself to everybody, Griffin. Oh, may I? Okay. Uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Griffin Presnell. Uh, I am a junior here at Wayne State College. Uh, I'm on the radio known as DJ Jam Jam Fruit. Uh, I'm also on TikTok as Roadside Pony. And, most importantly, I am one of the hosts for the morning show here in Wayne, Wake Up With Wayne. It's on at Tuesdays at 8 a.m. Nice. So do you have, um, for, you know, we know you're from Lincoln, but do you have, like, any agriculture experience, I guess, like going to a farm or anything? Um, I have 100 hours in Stardew Valley. Does that count? <laughs> what is that? Uh, it's a farming video game. Oh. <laughs> So, no. No. (laughs) Okay, well, today we're going to just be talking a couple of current events, and then later on we're going to have Dr. Uh, Shauna Hearn. So, I guess I will start recently behind all the COVID stuff. There's been a uh, H, or excuse me, EHV outbreak in Europe, which EHV is um, short for equine herpes virus type 1. Um, and it's like an upper respiratory um, infection in young horses and mares. And I mean, it affects all horses, but it affects those the hardest. Um, it's really contagious and it's taking a lot of effort on their part because they're not being able to like get what they need to help like seclude these horses so that it doesn't spread. And so especially, like they're having like, trouble like quarantining them basically. Yeah. And like keeping them separate and everything yeah because like you know they're barns and stuff like you have you know Mm -hmm. 15 horses in a boarding barn and do they like do they show symptoms pretty early or is it kind of difficult to gauge when that starts um so it says like they start with like a snotty nose and cough and then like they'll lose appetite and they'll showing signs of depression like they're not wanting to leave their stall or they're pacing or something like that um but it says, like, it can affect uh, their neurological system. So, you know, it affects their brain, their spinal cord, and it can lead to death and paralysis. So it's, you know, a, a pretty big deal, yeah. especially, yeah. like, vet bills for horses to begin with are not great. Well, horses are expensive, period. Yeah. So. Does it say how long the symptoms take to progress yeah. from the runny nose to the neurological yeah neurological damage and death so i uh, i'm getting my information off of uh the american association of equine practitioners so a pretty well-known equine website um it doesn't really say it just says like the symptoms are you know kind of like rabies epm and west nile so it can kind of like slip under your radar because you're like, oh, it just has a cold or it's something not that bad, which I mean, those three I just listed are pretty bad for a horse. Yeah. yeah. But like they've been dealt with and they're not necessarily as contagious. It says EHV doesn't respond to antibiotics. So basically the only thing you can do is like treat symptoms and then like quarantine them until it runs through their system, which again, that's not ideal if it lasts, you know, for a long time. Is there a decent recovery rate or is it pretty deadly? I guess I don't really know. This doesn't really say it. Uh, it there have been deaths. Like um, right now, there three days ago, there was an article published um, that like two horses in Florida had confirmed been exposed to it. But like um, in Europe, at this one farm, like six horses have died out of, and then there's like another hundred sick. So I I don't know. Well, it's probably like it's probably like with COVID, they're probably still trying to figure it out and do all the statistics on it yet. If yeah. It's, if it's relatively recent. And it's just now getting to America. Uh, the way it sounds, yeah. Which I kind of find a little strange, especially like the U.S. laws for animal quarantine, like across like borders. Yeah. I kind of find it weird that it wouldn't would end up in Florida and not like higher on the uh, like in the mountainous areas yeah or like more toward you know new york and maine and that but yeah so will they be like postponing like 
big horse races and like those kind of events because I know those tend to be uh, like a lot of people and a lot of horses like the mixing. Kentucky Derby yeah yeah I, I would think so I would think so because I mean or you would have to undergo like a really strict quarantine um yeah. oh, they might if they do have like these larger races and competitions yeah they might have uh for like any uh livestock show you have to have a vet uh check your animals like I think it's 30 days for Nebraska before, like, the state fair or something. So they might push it to, like, seven days before a show that your livestock has to be checked by a vet. Well, and, like, I would assume most races already have, like, a quarantine period just because, you know, you have horses from Mm -hmm. across the country coming to one spot. Mm -hmm. But I would assume they'd be more strict. Yeah, that's a good assumption, I would feel like. I guess that's all I have for that one. So with... The spring coming up, I found an article on agupdate.com that the USDA expects higher crop acres to be planted of soybeans and corn to meet the new demand of with the upcoming year. So the USDA, uh, so the United States Department of Agriculture, announced that corn and soybean acreage is ex- expectations for the upcoming year are super high. So 90 million acres in the U.S. are going to be set aside for soybeans and a tad bit higher for corn at 92 million acres. Well, I don't know if we're really, what do you want to say, don't have the corn in um, storage or anything. I guess I haven't really looked into it, but I know last year, especially in northeast Nebraska, Iowa, and I mean, most of Nebraska, we've had uh, drought or natural disasters like uh, Iowa had the derecho and Nebraska had a couple tornadoes and then um, the flood, obviously, a couple years ago, we've had a hard time getting the surplus of corn. Yeah, there's like, a lot of weather events happening that's basically impeding the production. Yeah. Yeah. But if so- soybeans are also like they're like right behind corn in production, right? They're the other really popular thing to make. Yep. Yeah, yep. especially yeah. especially in Nebraska. Yeah, I would yeah. say co- soybeans would almost be at the top now. I think it's surpassed corn almost. I would say it's a tie. Okay, because yeah. just because like corn right now we're really big with using it in ethanol yep. and byproducts of corn, but uh, with soybeans we're able to you know. We're, we're breaking it down more. We're using more of the byproducts of it, which, you know, oils and everything like that. And, and with trading, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah. But because, if, well, if you're not growing corn, most people are growing soybeans yep. and, like, having that in a rotation. Yep. So I'd say they're pretty close to even. I think with the rain that we've gotten recently, today's Monday the 15th, but with the rain, I think our spring, I'm going to knock on wood, but with the rain that we've gotten... Hello. hopefully the season's better we'll be able to get into the fields earlier um which then we'll have our yields uh yeah i i think we're gonna have a really wet spring which we really need because Mm -hmm. like we haven't um had the snow amount that like during winter that we need yeah i'm sorry we're we're going into her uh current (laughs) event that she was talking about but we haven't had the snow that we've needed for the last couple of years, even though we had a flood, you know, a couple of years ago. But that wasn't very beneficial. Yeah, you know? because it, it all it ran didn't off. It penetrate. It just yeah. washed right off, off the yeah. top because it didn't penetrate It the did soil. more harm than good. Yeah. yeah. I saw a little bit of flooding on my drive back here from Lincoln. I oh, also yeah. saw flooding on my drive back. I did, yeah. too. Yeah. There were... Because there's, still, cause there's yeah. still a layer of frost in the soil, so the yeah. water can't go through. It just sits on top. Yeah, there were like, fields that had... There were a couple that had ponds already that overflew, oh, not flew, <laughs> had overflown, and just some fields that had low points that were filled up with water. Wow. And a couple of them had white caps. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I was, yeah, I was driving through Skyler on my way back here, and it, it there was a lot of floating right there because it's right by the river, and the fields are super shallow, and I was like, I really hope this road is still open. <laughs> Well, like, I went um, driving around with my dad, and we went to, like, look at different lakes and, you know, or not lakes, <laughs> ponds and creeks, and most of them are dried up still around here. Like, we even have, um, on our property, we had to dig a ditch because it was flooded all the time, and it's empty right now. And usually there's at least some standing water, but there's nothing. But 
Right. So speaking of drying up, um, that leads perfectly into the article I found um, on agriculture.com. Um, the article is called Drought Conditions Persist in Many Top Corn Growing States. Um, this is as of March 4th. Um, so basically, it says Iowa right now is kind of getting hit the hardest there. Um, they have extreme drought conditions in the northwest part of the state. And then um, more than half is abnormally dry. So they're going to have some struggles if it doesn't keep raining, getting moisture, all getting that good moisture. stuff. Yeah. And that seems kind of contradictory since it's literally supposed to rain the whole week. But I mean, that doesn't mean a whole lot. It, it depends on how much it actually absorbs rather than just how much it rains. Well, yeah. and we still have, now I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure we still have a lot of frost in the ground because we haven't mm-hmm. had yeah. really good hot days to get Melt down in the... it, yeah, yeah, really penetrate it. So it's obviously, it's not going down very far. And if it is, it's, you know, stopping at a certain spot. So we're getting muddy up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also says about 80% of Nebraska is in moderate drought or worse. So yeah, we're doing a little better than Iowa, but obviously we're pretty close. Um, and not, there's some parts that are really stressed with moisture levels right now. So, And I think um, you're going to see a lot more people um, relying on their irrigation this year like they did last year, which is not necessarily ideal for um, farmers to rely on our aquifer and uh, your well pumps and everything just because you there's know, only so much of it. Yeah, there's a limited amount, especially during, you know, dry seasons. And we don't want to um, use it all and have it come and bite us later on. What's an aquifer? So the aquifer um, is underneath Nebraska uh, and... Colorado, I think. Colorado, Iowa, Kansas. I Kansas. Too, yeah. It goes all... It used to go all the way down to Texas and then... Um, uh, they used it up because it wasn't very deep there. So it went up to Oklahoma and then Oklahoma, you know, it still wasn't very deep. So they used it up. So now it's pretty much just the Midwest, mm-hmm. um, more than uh, the South, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's this uh, vast lake underground that's fresh water that we are able to pump down to and pump onto the top of the ground. <laughs> So I think people, a, yeah. oh, go ahead, go ahead, Whitney. So people use the aquifer to, uh, with their center pivots, to irrigate their land. I know my house; we use it for drinking water, li- feeding your livestock, etc. And that's not saying that everybody is um, going down to the aquifer. Like there are other pockets of water that's like above the aquifer. Like if you, if you ever look at a water map. Like, there's different aquifers. Like, there's one underneath California, but it's salt water, so it's obviously not usable. And um, Texas, Oklahoma, basically nothing there. I was going to say another um, good method to kind of not waste a whole lot of water is to get, like, a drip irrigation system. Yeah. Um, I know they're kind of expensive, but they're kind of cool because you just run them along and then they just drip out occasionally. And it's, I mean, it doesn't waste as much water because sometimes those big pivots can, you know be stuck on a spot or leak or whatever else yeah. you have and sometimes that is an issue there's so. quite a few farmers uh, with center pivots down in my area of sutton they've converted from the top sprinklers down to a drip yeah just to conserve their water and also electricity yep so around here i haven't i've noticed more people putting irrigation in there's not a lot of people going for drip irrigation just because um you know they're farming hundreds of acres at once and that's a lot to move a drip irrigation or to Mm -hmm. use your tractor over it and everything Mm -hmm. and not a lot of people live up in northeast nebraska or nebraska so now it's quiz time so they're going to quiz me on some agriculture stuff that i'm definitely going to know okay whitney do you want to do the quizzing griffin do you know what a tractor is used for (laughs) <laughs> Tractors are the big green things that you use. Not all green. Yes, well, they are. No, the good ones are green. <laughs> oh, the best ones are orange. Am I starting a war here? Yes, you are. You low-key just did. <laughs> you did. Sorry. But <laughs> tractors are like for... I've always thought tractors were just for helping moving through the fields, like as a way of transportation to get across the fields faster. But can it also, like, you can hook stuff up to it? Hook yeah, to there's a, a lot of different attachments that yeah. you can That's use That's the main use, because if you're just going to go across a field, most people would probably just walk, because you can probably walk faster. Or drive their pickup. Or drive mm-hmm. their truck. Um, but yeah, a tractor, usually you hook it up to something yeah. behind you or in front like and drag it across. Or something. 
Yeah, a cultivator, planter, baler, baler, whatever, whatever you have. Um, but a lot of times it's kind of just a, a universal thing for an agriculture horsepower moving vehicle because a lot of people like group combines in with that now or even a lot of, um, oh, I can't think of the name of it, self-propelled uh, balers and everything like that are kind of being grouped into tractor even like loaders and everything. Do you know how chocolate milk is made? We talked about chocolate this when cows. I was on your show. Chocolate, chocolate cows. cows. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? It's white milk and well, when I made chocolate milk as a kid, well, I didn't drink chocolate milk, but Neither the way I. I was taught was white milk and Hershey's chocolate syrup. Correct. Yeah. Or Nesquik. <laughs> yeah. Or yep, that. Or yeah. Nesquik. Actual Anything chocolate that's chocolate milk. that you mix into it. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yep. Next okay. question. Next question. Oh, I'm, I'm two for two, I, I would say. I two for two. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's the difference between organic farming and just regular farming? Organic farming and regular farming? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, just going by names, I would assume organic farming uses a lot less, like, GMOs and stuff. Um, Not necessarily just GMOs. I, yeah, I wouldn't say GMOs. Like, oh, like a lot less chemicals like and stuff. Pesticides, yeah, pesticides, pesticides and fertilizers. Yeah. Ooh, some of okay. it's like antibiotics um, too, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with that, organic farming still uses chemicals, pesticides, mm-hmm. fertilizers, fertilizers, antibiotics, everything like that. It's just, it's a certain list that's like There's like a limit registered. to it in order to okay. label it as organic. But also, a lot of people will do or, like organic practices and then like label like half their product as organic and then they can put a higher price on it even though it's kind of the same as the one that's not labeled like that. Huh. Yeah, I talked to Dr. Shauna Hearn about this. Uh, there is a dairy farmer that uh, all of his milk is already organic, but he can put aside and label part of his supply as organic and pri- mark up the prices for a higher profit. While, of, while oh. they're normal, in quotes, is organic, but they, they just don't label it as that. Well, because you're able to hit two different niche markets. Correct. Or, sorry, yep. not niche. Niche. <laughs> same, um, same thing. A lot of people do that with, like, eggs and stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, smart tactic. You're smart getting more tactic. money off of doing the same job. Smart yep. tactic, but I don't like it because it include, or it, it relies on fear-based marketing. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people that, like, buy organic, they're not researching why they chose they organic. They just hear chemicals are scary and then... Well, they were told, like, yes. hey, this is better priced because it's healthier, quote-unquote, so, which not necessarily true. So the main difference between organic farming and regular farming is just name? Yeah. yeah. And kind just of. the amount of, like, chemicals and all that kind of stuff that they're able to use. All but, right. yes. All right. Well, and to be fair, organic farming does take more money because you're having to use specific chemicals. Like, you can't just go out on the market, buy whatever chemical you want to use. It's cheap, yeah. You have to use a certain kind. Okay. So, it, it, it can be harder, and it can, uh, obviously, it doesn't, especially if you get into, like, GMOs and organics, then you're having to rely on um, different ways of protecting your crop and having to plant it entirely different than commercially available products all right okay here's a question is is that midwestern hospitality thing true yes you guys yeah definitely yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i know it's real because when i stand in like high v because i can't reach something on the shelf i'll just look really sad and then like in a couple minutes somebody will walk by and be like do you need help i'm like yeah and then they'll help me and it's really nice (laughs) (laughs) they'll come over and they'll go oh need a hand (laughs) I don't know if I would really call it Midwestern hospitality, though. I would call it more like being neighborly. Courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. Just having courtesy. You were brought up right if you had. Hospitality being nice. But hospitality is like, come on in, have a drink. And neighborly is like waving from your porch and keeping a safe distance. Well, or even. (laughs) That's that's the difference to me. (laughs) But like, I think the the best. example i can think of off the top of my head is um a couple years ago um or not even a couple years ago somebody's um combine started on fire and neighbors came and were like hey we'll help you harvest or because combines are very expensive and insurance just 
takes a long no time. no way you're going to get a new one in that amount of time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then, like, um, there was another where, like, the farmer had a really bad accident, and he couldn't go and harvest his crop. And the neighbors, like, miles around, like, they had 10 combines out there combining this guy's corn and soybeans because he couldn't go out there and do it. I but, think that was last year, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember the family, but it was like all over the news. Yeah. Um, even like during the flood, you had people from, gosh, all the way to the coast coming out here with uh, hay and like, hey, here you go. Because <laughs> uh, like a lot of people lost their hay crop that season and couldn't feed their livestock yeah. and with yeah. you know. Okay. Here's a question. Here's a question I've got. If we're t- are, are we still doing the quiz? No, we've abandoned the quiz at this point. <laughs> okay, okay. Where does where does hay come from? Um, because I know you use a baler. To right. Make it. Um, are you asking where the word originated from, or no? Like he's asking hay like and... what hay is. Oh. What is hay? So hay okay. is like a com- well, it's, depending it's grasses, on usually. grasses. Um, you can do corn stalks, alfalfa, wheat, like a variety. It depends on what you're feeding. So it's like, a dried, leafy carb. So like, so fiber. Hay, sorry. So, yeah. So if I'm, I, I'm guessing like hay is made like after, after you've collected all the crop, all of the plants have withered. The farmer drives through, takes all the dried up plants. Actually, there's them. usually like a separate field for that. Like at yeah. my house, at my house, we have a cornfield around us, but like on our property, there's like a lot of like tall grass that grows. So uh, um. My, I guess, great uncle, (laughs) (laughs) my great uncle will come by and bail it and then he'll give it to his cattle that he has. So we kind of just share it like that. So I would say it it depends, right? Because um, if you're uh, bailing corn stalks, you're going to obviously wait until you harvest the corn. And everything's Um, dried out. Yeah. But if you're doing grass hay, you wait until the grass gets to a certain point in maturity. You cut it, let it dry, bale it. And then you can usually get three to four cuttings of grass. Same with alfalfa. Alfalfa, sometimes if it's a good season, you can get to five, but that's yeah. usually never recommended. It hasn't been in the last couple years. Alfalfa oh. is so pretty when it has purple flowers, and though. And it smells and amazing. It smells really when it's cut good. and I always, dried. I always just thought <sighs> hay was for sitting on and finding needles in. <laughs> <laughs> well, they used to use them in uh, hay sacks for, like, sleeping on Yeah, in the pioneer days. They're, oh, it's also for hitting. Hitting the hay, yep. Mm. Yep. That's yeah, the when you go to bed on your hay bed you're hitting the hay. Yep. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Alrighty, so that's a wrap with Griffin. Um, thanks so much for coming and talking with us tonight. I hope you learned something. So Yeah, I, I did. You know, and I, I don't think I actually told you guys. I did have a job in agriculture. I did detasseling. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's, a, that's a physical job. Yeah, it was a rough one. Yeah. How was that July heat? Uh, there was a couple times where I got heat, heat almost got heat stroke. Yeah, but... you ever got third degree burns? Nope. Oh, that's smart. Yep. Never got third degree <laughs> burns. I don't think I ever really got corn rash. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I might have gotten like a little bit like right here. Yeah. But yeah, no, I did that. I, I did that for three, four years. Wow. Yeah. The perks of being short is that you can't detassel. <laughs> Well, the perks of detasseling is you go out there for at 3 a.m., you do it for a month, and you get $1,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on our podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I've, I've been Griffin. That's Roadside Pony on TikTok. And uh, tune in to Wake Up With Wayne on 8 a.m.s on Tuesdays. Well, thank you, Griffin, for being on our podcast this week. Um, and now we're going to go ahead and talk with our radio production professor uh, who is new here at Wayne. Uh, it's his first year. So I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hi, I'm Dr. Sean Ahern. I'm from New Jersey originally, and I am now in Nebraska, and I don't know a lick about farm stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I guess being from uh, New Jersey, I've never been there, never been on the East Coast. Um, what's the agriculture like on the coast, I guess? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from New Jersey, the Garden State. We are known as the Garden State after all. We do have a lot of farms. Uh, Jersey sweet corn is a thing. 
uh, Rutgers Tomatoes, a thing. Um, but it's a lot of it's a, it's not as vast as it is out in the Midwest, as I, I from my own experience. A lot of it's uh, Central and South Jersey, a lot of horse farms, stuff like that. Uh, it, it so. Then you get into like Pennsylvania, and it's like you know Amish and uh, and more agricultural just generally. But it's a lot smaller properties, it seems like, compared to out here. Uh, not as, as sprawling, I guess. Um, then again, we also have a lot of dairy farms. Uh, especially, I taught in New England before I taught at Wayne State, so um, we have a lot of dairy farms up there. A lot of cheese, uh, a lot of a lot of good milk, stuff like that. So. We kind of had those two things going on there. I was just saying before we started recording that I used to go to the, uh, or at least went a few times to the Cabot um, uh, outlet store uh, in Vermont. And it's all the Cabot cheeses uh, from that area. So it's more of, it seems like it's more dairy oriented in, in New England, at least. And then down by me, it's a little more like basic produce. It seems like, I guess we'd say like corn, tomatoes, that kind of stuff. Everybody has a garden in the summer in our houses kind of a thing too. Like, even if it's just like a little like standing garden, somebody it's it's, it's kind of like that at this point because we're so suburban, and uh, obviously of course the South uh, East was you know tobacco plantations and things like the cotton you know very very long ago, but still that kind of culture is still there in some ways. And yeah, that's where it is. Uh, most of our most of our uh, agricultural <laughs> things we give out to agriculture now are just cursing and uh, on roads and cutting each other off. <laughs> if, if if that's agriculture, I don't know. Maybe that's just culture. Uh, but yeah. Uh, that's kind of where we are. It is funny though. My friends do think it's interesting that we call ourselves the garden state, even though it's mostly roads and, and, and highways at this point. But yeah, there is, there is some, we do have, uh, a lot of equestrian culture out there too. So there's a lot of big animals in that way too. But again, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't say bourgeois, but it's very high culture kind of stuff. Very expensive farms, yeah. but family farms nonetheless. So I know when you, uh, we were first talking in classes like last semester, you were always talking about uh, when you came here, you were surprised by like the combines. Yes. So the first time I saw a combine, I was running through Wayne and I was running on the the the, the uh, town trail and I had my headphones on and I hear this worrying sound. I'm like, what the heck is that? I turn and I like almost jump out of my shoes as I'm running and I just see this thing coming towards me. And there's a river in between, mind you, but coming <laughs> towards me, just grinding uh, up the of the corn because it's the fall, of course, and it's harvest season. And I'm like, what is this? And so I come to class and I say, I'm like, I saw this thing. Oh, it's a combine. I'm like, oh, you're, oh it's just a combine. It's a giant machine coming at me. And they're like, oh, you got to get inside of one of these days. I'm like, they let you go inside? They're like, yeah, farmers let you drive. Yeah, yeah, I know a couple of farmers that let you ride in the buddy seat. <laughs> Yeah, it was just very fascinating to me to, to be in a situation where I was like, oh, this is happening literally. It's like the old uh, the Sesame Street song about uh, knowing the people in your neighborhood. Oh, <laughs> yeah. there's a combine right there. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I find that fascinating. I had to pass a, a tractor on, on the road the other day, uh, blinkers and everything. So I have that on my resume now. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, this is, this is where I am. I was also shocked when I heard about uh, bring your tractor to high school day. That was interesting. Uh, I mentioned it to one of my other classes and they said, yeah, we do that. And I was just, whoa, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, I would say it's a pretty big culture in the in small towns. Even like most of the Midwest, I would say not just nebraska like i know when i was in high school my brother drove our tractor and we live like 20 minutes from our school so he had to get up extra early just to <laughs> make it on time yeah yeah i think that's what i, I keep thinking like I, I you know i come from a place where if you drive down route one going through new brunswick and edison new jersey which is central jersey which is a, a real place that's, a, that's an inside <laughs> joke for my state you drive through it and you see like Maserati and Ferrari and like BMW dealerships. And then, you know, so it's like, whoa, okay. Like all these like expensive cars. First thing I saw when I came to Wayne was a John Deere dealership. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's kind of like the Maserati place <laughs> for Nebraska. So I was like, that's interesting. That's cool. Uh, you know, and again, I, one, I think I said in one class, I was like, I like the thing that looks like a Zamboni. And you're like, uh, that's, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think it had like a little like pipe that like sh looked like it shot like produce out of the top into the back or something like that. Um, so a grain cart? I th Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, a grain it's cart. A, uh, the grain cart ha is usually has nothing in the front of it. It just looks like a big wagon with giant wheels. And then sometimes it has an auger on it. Okay. So that um, like when the wagon gets full, you can pump it or like not pump it, but it can basically take the grain, usually corn or soybeans around here, up into an auger okay. so that it can go into a grain bin. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like, that looks like a Zamboni. Like that, I'm a, for those of you who don't know, I'm a bit of a hockey fan. So I was just like... 
okay, I think I understand what that is. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it is really fascinating to me to be in a, I mean, my master's degree is in culture, cultural studies, pop culture studies. And, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in kind of the idea of the American experience and kind of exploring these things. Feel fish out of water, but I also feel like, oh, well, this is kind of neat that I've never really thought or engaged with this kind of experience before. Um, you know, I, I've studied uh, a couple books. I can't names don't come to me, of course, right now. But in my in my doctoral program, where we talked about like you know Western expansion and kind of the agricultural impacts on on you know different parts of the United States, and so that comes to mind a lot out here too. It's like okay, this is this is the culture that I've read about or seen about. So it's kind of neat. <laughs> well, my favorite part. So like in our history class, my history class right now, um, we were talking about like how the Midwest was settled, right? Because the only reason people are out here is because of the railroad, because otherwise we were a vast place of nothing. Like there were no trees, nothing. But my favorite part is somebody from the University of Lincoln, like the college from Nebraska, <laughs> a professor said that wherever the plow goes, rain will follow, mm. which is not true. There is no scientific <laughs> evidence backing him up, but the railroad took it flew with it and that's the only reason people settled in the panhandle of nebraska hmm. where it's sandy as all get out and nothing grows there and the only good thing that that land is for is cattle and you know ranches and pastures <laughs> yeah that's i think one the thing that i remember i was driving back from uh sioux city like one of the first weeks i was here i went on a, like a sunday drive and I'm driving back. I'm talking to my friend on my Bluetooth. And I'm like, yeah, so, oh, my gosh, that's a longhorn. And I saw the first time I think in my life, I saw a longhorn, like, cow, steer. What are they? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the same thing, right? And so I was just like, oh, my God, that really is. Those are longhorns. <laughs> so that blew my mind a little bit, I'll be honest. Um, you should see a, um, what, what are they called? Watusi cattle. Watusi cattle. What is that? So they're like a longhorn, but their horns get really wide. Like they get like the size of a bull, mm. like huge. But uh, you would think they'd be so heavy, but they're actually like honeycombed on the inside. Okay. So they're not as heavy, but it's just these giant cattle walking around with these huge cones on their head, basically. Huh. Interesting. Well, I, I should I should point out. I mean, I did go. I lived in upstate New York when I was in high school, and um, there are a lot of apple orchard orchards out there, right? And there's there's some cattle. So it's not like I haven't seen this before, but I like seeing things. Oh, that's what that looks like. Okay, um, Whitney just uh, showed me a photo. Fascinating. Um, but yeah, like so I've seen cattle before, but like seeing like it in such a a wide amount, uh, just a plethora is is what blows my mind. Uh, driving to Norfolk. One day, I, I saw there's a big cattle ranch out there, and I saw all the the, the cattle out, and I was just like, "Whoa!" Like it, it's those kind of things, or like smelling fertilizer or manure driving down the road. And it's <laughs> like, ah, this is an interesting new smell. Uh, those kind of things I think are kind of mind blowing. And I, I think I talked to you guys a little bit about this before, but I'm really blown away by like stuff like seeing like when you drive past a farm and you see like. Kind of like, I don't want to say folkloric kind of stuff, but homemade things, be it quilts or like cool patterns on the front of barns or it be, uh, you know, seeing like um, homemade crosses or stuff like that. You, you do, you know, it's very easy to like dismiss that as, oh, this is out in the middle of nowhere. But it's just like, that's, that's America. Like, it's very like, it's, it's, this is Americana at its finest, which I find very fascinating. You're going to know you've been here long enough when you can tell the difference between what animal smells like what. Ha, huh, I see. Okay, interesting. Pigs and cows and horses all smell different. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, my sister did have a horse for many years, uh, so I kind of understand the smell of a horse, I think. But it, I, I will keep that in mind going forward. <laughs> well, you'll, yeah, when you're driving by like a large feedlot or even um, pig confinements, you'll you'll be able to tell the difference. <laughs> oh, lovely. That's good to know. <laughs> Was it kind of like a bigger culture shock? Because like I've grown up around it. Like we've all kind of, you know, grown up around agriculture. So we're used to seeing these things like every day driving, you know, 30 minutes to the biggest town. What was it like not doing that? Yeah, I've said in class and I remember I said this in one of my intro classes last semester. I said, you know, I, I'm used to living 45 minutes from New York City, 45 minutes from Philly. And my students were like, whoa. And they're like, Lincoln's two hours away. And I was like, wait, what? You know, like It was that kind of moment of like, you know. That kind of that was a little bit of culture shock. I think what's interesting, like pop, you know, pop culture wise, we always have the stereotype of like the small town person coming to the big city and be like, "Gosh, look at all the skyscrapers!" You know, I had that kind of experience. I, I remember I pulled into Nor into uh, not Norfolk into Wayne actually. Uh, at first, I, I came to Wayne into the hotel I was staying at. Pulled in. I didn't, and it was it was like eleven o'clock at night, so I didn't see anything. And I get in and say, "I'm the new professor. Uh, there's a, there's a room for me." And they're like, "Yep, you." And they're like, "You know, we're the fancy hotel." And I was like, 
again, come from the big city, like, you know, like W's and like, you know, uh, what, you know, Hilton's or whatever. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Like, you know, like, okay, you know, small town. That's fine. I wake up the next morning. I actually see Wayne. I take a, I take a drive. I'm like, I'm already out of town. Like I like, drove across town. I'm already out of town. Oh my God. And so there was a little bit of culture shock. I was in one of the grocery stores and I'm just like blank eyed in one of the, like the, uh, in one of the, um, aisles and a young lady who works there comes up and goes, are you all right? I'm like, no, I think I'm just having an existential crisis, but I'll be all right. I'm good. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> I've had that moment of like, I am uh, for context. Um, I mean, I, I've lived in a lot of places. Uh, when I was a kid, we moved from New Jersey to Arizona for my dad's job. He worked in pharmaceuticals. So we moved out there, and, but it was at least the four of us, right? It was the four, you know, we were a family unit. And then, you know, I moved to Ohio for grad school, upstate New York for grad school. Well, Western New York, I'll get in trouble for saying that. But <laughs> Buffalo's in Western New York for grad school and New Hampshire for undergrad. And, you know, I've moved around a lot, but at this, it's a one, usually it's within like driving distance or flight. So, so COVID coupled with like 1,500 miles away from everyone. It was kind of that moment of like, okay, I'm in the literal middle of the country <laughs> and this is small town America. Okay, let's get used to it. So I, I you know, the, to alleviate the culture shock, and I think this is something a lot of college professors, especially young college professors deal with, is how do you, how do you deal with going to a place you don't know anything about or like you don't have anybody with you? Uh, or if you do, maybe it's only like your significant other or something like that. And I, I started taking a lot of walks around town. Uh, I just started trying to interact with people. And, and I, I, mean, I remember I walked into the local coffee shop in town and just chatted with the barista for a second. Be like, hey, what, what do you guys do around here? You know, that helped. Uh, I, I had to give you guys a lot of kudos. Like what I think is cool about out here is there's a lot of cool green space. You have a lot of green space. Uh, you have a lot of like little like mini libraries everywhere and stuff like that. Like, so, there's, so I was like, okay, I can get used to this town. This is nice. Like, you know, I'll join the local softball team. Like I can see it, you know. But it is, I think it was a little bit of culture shock. Like, because <laughs> I'm used to... You know, here's a, here's a little thing. I'm used to aggressive drivers. I know that's a stereotype in New Jersey, but like I'm used to just like you're taught to like you know you 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 have to be aggressive, and, just for safety. And I remember I pulled out of my, I was on the road of my house, and I'm about to turn onto Main Street, and I see a car coming. I'm trying to gauge it, like okay, it's coming quick. And I was sitting there for a minute before it passed me. I was like, okay, they drive slow out here. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have to get used to that. And then what happened was when I came, went back east for Christmas, I had to re, you know, re like organize myself. Okay, remember they're going to give you seconds, you know, like people were moving and grooving. So there's, uh, but um, they uh, that was one of the uh, other things was like the idea of like this is gonna. I think you'll appreciate this. I noticed like produce isn't as fresh, and I don't know what that is, uh, but it was interesting that like certain produce wasn't as fresh as other produce, whereas back east it's like, okay, you get anything, anytime, anywhere. I, I assume because of capitalism, <laughs> but, but um, you know, it was interesting to be like, oh, this, you know, this is like kind of not bad, but it's, it's clearly like, you know, out of season, it's, right? Yeah, really out so of season. So that was interesting. That, so those kind of little things, <laughs> you know, were interesting. Uh, the good news is I do have a friend of mine who's, uh, who is a minister in Wisconsin. And uh, so she ha she was like my like Midwest liaison for like the first two weeks I was here. I was like, all right, what's a Culver's? She's like, oh my God, you have to go to a Culver's. You know, like something like that. <laughs> You know, what's a bomb guards? I think I had that in yeah. radio class. We had that. I was like, what's a bomb guard? Go, oh my God, bomb guards is great. <laughs> so now I have like all these like, when I go, when I go home, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be like, all right, so this is this. And my friends will be like, yes. I'll be like, okay, cool. Like, you know, like, like <laughs> we'll, we'll like, we'll, you know, exchange notes. So it's, it's, it, there's culture shock, but it's like, there's, there's ways to mitigate it. Yeah. yeah. So was there anything you wanted to ask us as agriculture people? So many questions. So I think one of the things that fascinates me is back home we have farmer's markets, right? Like we yeah. have farmer's markets and it, it always seems, it. this is going to sound, I, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but it sounds very, it's very kitschy, right? It's like, it's like you see the farm and they have like, like their stand and it's like, very kind of like hipstery, progressive kind of, cons you know, like, oh, I can afford to go to the farmer's market kind of a thing, right? Do you ever, do you have that kind of hipster aesthetic? Do people come to like farmer's markets because they need to, or is it more of kind of like a, a class thing, do you think? I wouldn't say it was necessarily, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a class thing. Usually people that go to farmer's markets just have a surplus mm -hmm. that they've grown themselves. So, you know, they'll go to the doors, I don't know where they have it here, but Hardington up by me, they go and sit out in front of the food town, which is just a grocery store. Okay. And they'll just sit there and, you know, have their truck full of all the produce. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. 
I would say in Lincoln, there's a couple of different farmer's markets, and it's usually on Saturday in the Haymarket, I believe. And I think um, a lot of people just go there to, like, look around and kind of look at the crafty stuff, buy a few things. It's kind of more of just an activity thing, but I don't think it's really, like, hipster, like, I'm a cooler than you (laughs) in a niche market type of thing. It's just, like, everybody's there to, like buy some crafts, look around, have a good time type of thing. Yeah, because I think that's what's really interesting about, you know, one of the things I've I've, I've noticed out here is seeing just, yeah, like here's my produce in the back of my truck. Mm -hmm. That's really neat. Like I think that's that's kind of fun. And also it says like I'm a local person. I'm a part of your community. And I think that's a really powerful thing for those kind of farmers markets or craft markets. And and that's not to say that that's not like the way it is back east. But this is something I did notice is it's kind of like, oh, I can afford to go to the specialty shop kind of a thing. Well, and like you said, like our produce that you get in the stores isn't necessarily the freshest or, you know greatest off the vine you know because it takes a while to get to the middle of nowhere so when you you know see someone on the side of the road that's selling watermelons usually you're like i'm i want some good watermelon i'm gonna stop right yeah i think that's the big part of it right like it's we i I think we take it for granted you know that like we have so many options i'm so used to like you can go to a specialty market back east like oh i can get this wild exotic food and it and and you can't really do that here not that i'm a foodie in any way shape or form but (laughs) i think it's 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 fascinating even like something like eggplant it's like okay well, that's not a regional thing. But if you do, yeah, you're right. Like if you see somebody who's been making watermelon all all season, it's like, oh, oh I'm going to go for that, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think another big part of like the buying out of the back of a truck is like the just the community support because mm-hmm. you want to support your local farmers and you want fresh produce. So it kind of works out to benefit both parties that way. Oh, absolutely. I think that's really cool. Um, I think... I, again, I think it's something you take, uh, I take for granted back home is that, you know, you see, again, Garden State. So you like, in the summer, you'll see sweet corn signs every like five minutes. Um, and everybody has a certain way to, to grow tomatoes, which is just hilarious to me. But anyway, um, but you know, there is, uh, there's kind of like, oh, I can just get whatever I want. Where it's here, it's like, okay, well, it's here, it's another 30 minutes. So that's kind of cool. Another question I have, and this is one, because I'm, I'm an animal lover. How do you not stay connected to the animals you raise because i know that a lot of students out here do 4-h club and future farmers of america how do you at a young age i suspect how do you kind of disconnect i would say the biggest thing is that you know it's not going to last forever from the beginning so it's not like your parents are like yeah you'll be best friends forever it's like this is what's going to happen and you have to understand that and be able to let that go and a lot of times, like, if you have, like, cats in a box or something, mom will be like, don't name it because we're not keeping it. Okay. So a lot of times, like, if you name it, that's an attachment. So sometimes you can't name things, so you don't have an attachment. But other times, if you do have a relationship and name that animal, you just have to know that someday it's going to be over and you kind of got to come to terms with that. Oof, that's who that, that hits right in the gut. I mean. I- yeah, I, I, I was broken when, like, a family pet would die. So. Well, and that's another thing, too, though. Like, we all have our favorites. Like, I know at home I had a, a billy goat that I just loved him. He was the tamest billy goat you could ever have. And it broke my heart to sell him. Mm. But I knew that that's what had to happen. And I cried about it. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Because he was a pet. But it's, it's having to acknowledge in yourself that, like, it's what it was meant for. Yeah. Um, and of course you have people that have dark humor, you know, you have a cow and you name it steak or beef or hamburger, (laughs) or you have a pig and you call it a sausage, you know, we've done that. And even, you know, with names, like we name all of our goats and we still sell them, but uh, I don't know if I would really say that we can emotionally detach from them. Yeah. See that the thing is like, I have, we there are family stories about like, you know, my grandmother's dogs having puppies and like selling the puppies and the kids being like we're not gonna sell the puppies and that would kill me inside like i would just be like no i can't do that (laughs) so you know i'll keep them all uh so it's just who i am i I guess i'm a bit of a bleeding heart liberal from the east coast (laughs) uh, just a little bit uh but you know i think that that's a really great way of saying like it's that sociological thing right it's like we don't this is this is this is um capital this is you know what we need to survive okay like i can get that i mean that makes sense to me. And, and I have that even driving around. I'm like, all right, well, that's going to be a T-bone someday, Sean. You know, like, you know, <laughs> driving around here, it's like just a reminder, uh, you know. But I, I get that everything, I think it's kind of cool to know that everything on the farm has a purpose. Whereas I come from a very material, material culture, like a very throw-out culture in some ways. So, 
you know, everybody will get something new every week kind of a thing. So that's, in some ways, it's, 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 I don't want to say relaxing or it's, 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 um, refreshing. Well, and I'm sorry, Claire. No, that's okay. Um, but I would say that's why a lot of people out here really don't like the, I, I said it before on a podcast, but the Facebook vegan, like <laughs> the people yes. that like attack farms for, you know, mishandling animals or mm. anything like that. And it's like, obviously there's people out there that mm. do that, but we're not out here to purposely harm an animal that, you know, capitalism is to make a profit. But at the same time, we know where our food comes from. We don't go, well, why are you raising cows? You can just go to the store and buy a steak. And it's like, okay, where's that coming from? from? We're out here. You know, most people know that it's those cows in that feedlot over there. I would also say, so um, at my grandma's house, we raised chickens, and um, my cousin's from St. Louis, one of them, when Josephine was really little, um, we went to see the baby chicks because we keep them for six weeks, so we went Mm -hmm. to see them when they were babies, and then every time when we would have chicken, she would ask for baby chickies because she knew that's Mm -hmm. where the chicken was, Mm -hmm. and she just remembered them being baby chickies Mm because she never saw them when they were, you know, old and ugly then, so. Interesting. See... Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I should, you know, full context, I do fish and I and I usually keep the trout I catch, you know, if they're of legal size and all those things. But, you know, it's, it's and even there I realized, okay, this was made for me to harvest, right? Uh, you know, I've worked in, you know, um, you know, game and fish kind of stuff, you know, as you know, for in retail and stuff like that. So I know like, this is being made because they want us to harvest this. This is a part of my taxes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that helps me frame it. And then I get like Buddhist with it. And I'm like, you know, this is a part of the world and, you know, you know, balance, et cetera. But like, you know, I don't really even know if that's Buddhist, but I try to be <laughs> spiritual about it, I suppose. I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person. No. Yeah. I think that's another thing that's really interesting coming out here is, yeah, I have a lot of friends. We've had this conversation before, but I have a lot of friends who are like, I only eat organic. Okay. I only eat, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. And I remember Agnes, when I said this in class, <laughs> everything's organic, technically. <laughs> So I do come from that culture to a very, the, the classic farm to table, like that, that whole gimmick uh, that really kind of sprung up in like the last 10 years. I'm like, oh, it's farm to table. We know where we get our, our meat and produce to. And I've worked in enough restaurants to know you should probably know where you get your meat and produce from. Like that, yeah. you should have that connection with your, you know, supplier. You know, the only difference is now you're, you're using that as a promotional tool. So I think that's interesting as well. One thing I've learned out here that I really think is interesting I noticed that every little town has a Dairy Queen, and I think that's great for a couple of reasons. First <laughs> off, blizzards, because they're great. <laughs> Second off, I noticed that everybody goes and congregates on like a Friday night. Is that kind of a local watering hole kind of a thing? Yeah. <laughs> what else do we have to do? Um, I would say it's for the families. Okay. Uh, at the bars, you'll have the, you know, people that will sit around, drink watch sports whatever's on tv mm-hmm. and then the dairy queen is where the families get together with their kids and everybody has ice cream and you know yeah because i kept thinking about um friday night lights mm-hmm. the the book slash movie slash tv show and i was thinking about how like that's kind of this small town kind of watering hole of like okay we do that or after or before the football game kind of a thing i thought that was kind of neat to see that a little bit in the fall like oh that's that's kind of cool um i like that about small town nebraska and it's something I think, again, a, a lot of people on the coasts, especially my friends, no offense, I, I love you all, but um, <laughs> maybe they don't always take for, they take for granted this idea of like, well, I'll go into the city for the weekend or the day or whatever. And that's cool. But like, there's no, like, I always feel it's interesting being a part of the Tri-State area and like, yeah, you have your friends and you go do your things, but there's no like real, like really tight knit community. Whereas out here, it seems like you can walk in anywhere and they know who you are. I, for the first like week I was here, I kept telling the local grocery, like high school grocery kids, like, hey, you know, I'm from Jersey. I don't know anything about this yet. And then at one point somebody said, oh, you're the guy from New Jersey. And I was like, okay, everybody knows now. And it was kind of, it was kind of refreshing being like, okay, everybody knows who I am. It's also surveillance, but it's also like, you know, okay, I'm a part of this community or I'm trying to become a part of this community. Well, when, okay. So in my small town, we have like, I don't, I don't even remember anymore how many we have it's about 800 probably less than that now but when i was born my dad was called bear in town for whatever reason they called him bear well when me and my twin were born 
in the middle of town, they put a sign that said the Cubs have been born <laughs> because everybody knew my dad and that my mom. That was the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I was driving past the Dairy Queen one day and I said, congratulations to somebody for getting married. And I was like, okay, you don't see that in Jersey very often. <laughs> like, you don't see that like at the local KFC. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of neat. So yeah, I, it's, it's a little stuff like that. I'm noticing that I'm getting really into out here. But it's that like, also means you can't do anything wrong. <laughs> that's true. I was about to say, there's probably, that, that's why I said surveillance. Like everybody knows where you are and such. But even at like high schools for like graduations or like um, if you made like state wrestling, they'll either put signs along the highway or along the high school driveway so everyone can kind of drive by and recognize that accomplishment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really nice because it shows that like people are paying attention and they care about you and they're interested in what you're doing and how successful you've been. That's yeah, that's a great point. I think when I was uh, an undergrad, the reason I picked the small college I picked is because I wanted to be a big fish in a small pond because I had gone to a very large high school in upstate New York. So I was like, all right, well, I don't feel special. I don't feel like everybody knows me. I mean, I remember watching people walk across stage that I had never interacted with. So to go to a small college was like, okay, now people know who I am. I was able to find out who my identity was. And coming to a place like Wayne, again, it's you, the impact is much greater because people go, oh, well, that's the new radio guy. Oh, he's from the East Coast and, you know, he runs around, you know, town. You'll see him, you know, that kind of stuff is really neat. Uh, he gives, you know, he gives back to the town. You know, he goes and work, goes to our, our, our businesses, that kind of thing, you know. And so I do really appreciate having that experience of being able to be like, okay, small town, sure. I kind of just want to have all my friends come out and visit. For two reasons, uh, shock and awe. But then second off, because they'd be like, because I think a lot of my su- my friends when I first uh, came out here, they were like, oh man, there's nothing to do out there, dude. It's super cold, dude. Like there's just corn. And I'm like, yeah, sure, fine. But there's a there's a there's a bit of a you know charm to this area. Um, you know when <laughs> when people you know just knock on their door to check in on you after you've moved in, like, hey, how you doing? It's like, oh my gosh, like I don't. I told my my uh, my friends back home about my landlord, and they're like, "Your landlord sounds awesome. Our landlord would never do that." I'm <laughs> like, "Well, yes, different cultures, but it was it was very like neat to have somebody who was checking in on you and making sure you know you're 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 doing all right." It was super cool to have that. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted my friends come out and be like, "Whoa, this is where you moved," and I'm like, "Yes, welcome, friends in the East Coast. Look <laughs> at this." They won't understand you when you talk either. Favorite part of <laughs> first semester, he talks very fast. Yeah, I do. Sorry. <laughs> well, you also were like, you guys talk slow. Yes, that too. You do talk slow. <laughs> yeah. We also don't pronunciate. Yeah. 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 There's... <laughs> so, we, yeah. We slur all our words together. I think the most fascinating thing you've taught... You, not taught me. Oh, maybe you have. Um... The teacher becomes the student. Uh, the the uh, a couple things we were talking in radio production about uh, PSAs you could do for the area, and I was fascinated by a couple of them. Uh, the idea of like mental health of farmers, I thought was really interesting. I was really impressed by uh, in not, I shouldn't say impressed farm uh, accidents. I was very surprised and, and, and impressed by kind of the awareness of that i guess and being like this is a big issue and then also the one that scared the heck out of me i think uh was the idea that you could drown in a corn silo didn't even think about that yeah Uh, yeah we had someone last fall actually who died in a corn silo yeah it's so it's worse than a you know quicksand like i said before um because at, with quicksand, you'll stop at a certain point. Right. Corn, you're going to keep going until you get rescued. And by that time, usually you've already suffocated. Yeah. So that was really, um, that was a nightmare when I heard that for the first time. Uh, and then saw photos of like, you know, the inside of a corn silo. And every time I drive by a corn silo now, I'm just like, <laughs> break out in a sweat. So <laughs> I told my friends that. They're like, oh God, we didn't even think about that. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of stuff. So I guess another question I have is... I came from a pretty big high school. And one of the things that shocked me about this area is you have a lot of high schools in the area, a lot of small towns, but you were telling me the population size. So what do you guys do for like high school sports? Does everybody just play every sport? Yeah, a lot of times they'll have like three sport athletes or four sport athletes. And um, sometimes they have to balance that with like doing band performances. It has a lot of schedule juggling involved because a lot of times you're in multiple activities that have practices. Um, you're going to have multiple practices a night. One time I was at school personally, I, I was at school until 10 o'clock some nights because of multiple practices going on. 
Well, and that's not even like being at school early because you had stuff before school also mm. because some meetings um, have to be before school because of all the practices yeah. after school. Interesting. See, that's what blows my mind. I think about, again, community kind of response to things, right? I came from a town where it's like if you did like one extracurricular, that wasn't enough. But if you ha- were doing too many, people would you know worry about you, o- you know, overexerting yourself. So I, I think it's fascinating to hear like, oh, well, I was on this team, this team, this team. Oh, I also did marching band. Also, I did this. I'm like, how do you have time for all that? And then also your your your, your high school classes in general. And then I find out that some people are are harvesting and planting during yeah. the school year too. So I'm I, I commend the young people of of uh, Nebraska for that. I well, suppose. like a lot of people, like in my class, they would get up, you know, before five a.m. to go out and combine just to come to school, and then. Uh, they would do their sport or whatever, practice, and then they would go back home and finish harvesting. Interesting. Like, Interesting. And, like, if you were in sports, obviously, you knew the time that you were dedicating was going to be towards sports. Mm. A lot of people, like, nowadays, like, parents are like, it's fine. Like, do your thing. We're not relying on you. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that wasn't always the case. Like, times have changed, and... So it's it's gotten easier for work balance and school balance, but um, you know the the towns still rely on you know the sports teams and the arts teams to you know partake. I would say that's also a big part of like the activities that go on because obviously in a small town there's not a whole lot to do, so a lot of that is going to high school sports, going to high school events, um, going to football games on Friday nights, and hanging out in the parking lot afterwards, or going out to Dairy Queen or McDonald's with all of your friends afterwards. See, that's really wholesome, and I like that. I mean, in all honesty, like, the idea of just kind of this idyllic... It is very much kind of what I think a lot of Americans want their lives to still be, and I think I... uh, not to invoke his name, but I think that's why our former president had the slogan he had was it was this idea of this nostalgic past. What's fascinating, though, I think about moving out to the Midwest is seeing that nostalgic past is still the president in many ways and seeing this kind of like idea that this is what your life can be uh, as you know, in a small town. Well, but that brings back the whole idea of, you know, the white picket picket fence family. Right. Yeah. You have you have, you know, your whole family, a dog and a couple kids and you live in this small town that everybody can support you behind. But then it's also it's at the same time you come to these small communities and you kind of get that. But we're turning to a point where these small communities aren't existing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's getting harder for that to last i guess i was gonna ask that too i I noticed one of the things that i've seen you know just traveling around too is there's a lot of suburban sprawl now is that a lot of uh basically farmers knowing that they can make money off the acreage of their land and stuff like that and and not being able to harvest and stuff like that um so actually this kind of relevant because just outside of lincoln um a client of my mom's is selling a lot of his land because him and his um i think it's either his siblings or his cousins um are aging and they don't want to have to um, pass it down to the next generation because there's a lot more of them and then they'd have to split it up and it would be a whole thing so they're just selling it off and it's right outside of lincoln so my mom is going to assume that a developer is going to buy all that land and then develop out which then kind of encroaches in on you know ag land that has been there for since i've been alive mm-hmm. before that and so i would say especially like living right outside of Lincoln, it feels like Lincoln just gets further and further and further mm, closer to okay, us every okay. year. Well, and you, it's part of it is, you know, these older farmers are selling out and farming. If you don't have enough land, you're not making a profit. So you can't pay the bank. And so you have to sell your land. Mm-hmm. And so the cheapest way is to sell it to developers and, you know, get your money's worth out of the land. Yeah, I guess that's the one thing that I noticed that it's a lot like home is that, yeah, there's a lot of property that, you know, we're getting a lot of McMansions, yeah. you know, back back where I'm from uh, on what was formerly farmland and stuff like that. Now, what's cool about that in a weird way, and this is my cultural studies stuff about it coming out too, and we're seeing this a lot in, in New England, but you see it in, down in the Mid-Atlantic too. Uh, if you if you go on to some of these lands that are being developed now, and you go out with like a uh, a metal detector, you can find some really cool antiques if you if you know where you're looking. So that's kind of a cool side note. But uh, I've seen there's a couple of YouTube channels that are really really cool in in New England that do that. I don't I don't doubt they don't do it in in, in oh, they do do it in New Jersey as well. But uh, there's some cool stuff you can find because obviously you know revolution and forward <laughs> right. So, but it is interesting to see. I think that one of the interesting resources, I suppose, 
that both my home and here have is that we're seeing the use of former farmland kind of being developed into suburban sprawl, uh, for better or for worse, I think. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, we're going to uh, wrap it up. So <laughs> thank you for uh, being on our podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> anytime. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzals, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 6 p.m. for more Ag Knowledge and listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on thecat.wsc.edu. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Solo Acoustic Guitar by Jason Shaw, found on Free Music Archive on freemusicarchive.org. The song was edited for the purpose of this podcast.